Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Before we move forward, I just want to tell all of the, the moms in here specifically, you are undervalued commodity. That sounds bad, right? But we undervalue what moms do. Anybody agree with me? Uh, wives, we undervalue what, what you do, right? And so, in fact, uh, I, I've realized that with, with my wife. Um, and so, and this is, I promise you, this is, she's probably not even in here, so she's not going to hear this. And so, and she didn't threaten me to say this. And so, but sometimes people say to me, hey, you know, does your wife, I had somebody say, does your wife go to church here? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, my, my wife works here. And so, you've never seen her, but pretty much everything that we do here that's successful is from her. And so, if I say anything that's smart, it's probably from her, believe me. And so, and I, I'll just say, probably the case for you as well, man, right? Like if, if, if God gives you the type of wife that oftentimes God blesses us with, we are, we're, we're, we're blessed, we're lucky. Can I get it? Amen, guys? And so un- undervalued, undervalued. And so I just, wanna, I just want you to know that. I know we only give you a day, and then we kind of go on with our business or, or, a, or a lunch or a flower, whatever it is. Man, ask your mom what she wants. Maybe she just wants you to leave her alone today. Maybe she wants to watch the Sixers with you. She's an awesome mom. And so <laughs> I, I'm not sure what it is, uh, but man, we want to appreciate you here today. Hopefully you got a picture when you walked in, if you not get one when you head out. But uh, I'm excited for today's message. I'm excited because we're going to have the opportunity to talk about a lady in Scripture today, which, uh, which I think is fitting, and it wasn't even by design. Like, hey, today I'm going to talk about a woman because it's Mother's Day. It makes sense. It literally was a perfect, uh, perfect story for the topic that I want to talk about. And so if you've not been here, we've been talking through a series called The Wild Goose. And uh, the first week I said, listen, too many people live in a powerless Christian life. And we talked about the Holy Spirit, how his power is, is amazing in our lives. The Bible says the same power that lived in Jesus, when you know Christ, that that power lives inside of you. And so in my opinion, a lot of believers live a very powerless life. The life you're living, you could live without Jesus. In the book, he says this, and I love this, and it's going to take a moment for you to figure it out. He said, I don't want the life that I live, I don't want the life that I'm living, the life that I'm going to walk out with God... I don't want to live it in such a way that the best that I can do is the best that I could do. At first I read that, I was like, that doesn't make sense, Mark. And then I thought about it. I don't want to live a life where the best that I'm doing is simply the best that I can do. I want to live a life that's, that's more than, that, that people go, how are you doing that? And I go, I don't know, the Holy Spirit's doing it. The Holy Spirit makes me look better than I am. He gives me things to say that I don't know to say. He gets me to places that I can never get to. He opens up doors that I can never open up. And so we started walking through this journey with the Holy Spirit. And we started talking about how most people live what we call caged Christianity. Two weeks ago, we talked about the cage of responsibility. Last week, if you were here, we talked about the cage of routine. Next week, I want to talk to you through the story of Peter on the cage of failure. Anybody in this place mess up from time to time? There's a lot of people in this place. You've messed up to the point where you don't think you can recover, but Jesus is an expert in that area. He's an expert in that. 
He's an expert in turning tra- a treasure from trash and cr- creating diamonds from, from difficult situations. And so we're going to take a look at that. Today I want to talk to you on, on, on something that I think is going to be really important. I want to talk to you on the, the cage of assumptions. The cage of assumptions. Anybody make assumptions from time to time that have been wrong? And so I have three, three, three boys, uh, and uh, we've been in this town for, for, for a long time, since they were, they were babies. And so uh, the reason I moved to Phoenixville is Phoenixville was more diverse than the area that I grew up. I grew up in Boyertown. And so uh, there's more diversity in our cows than our people there. And so uh, it's just reality. And it's not a dig on it. It's just the, the, way, the way that I lived. And so... Uh, fortunately, my dad was a pastor of a pretty, pretty sizable church, and we had people coming from Pottstown in different areas. And so I had more of a diverse experience than I think some people that live in Boyertown maybe have uh, in my time. I'm not sure about Boyertown now. I try not to go there. And so, um, <laughs> but I moved to Phoenixville in 2008, and uh, I did it because I wanted my kids to be around more diversity, not just color of people, but just culturally and just just, just have a different life. And so we moved to Phoenixville, and uh, my kids started school a few years back. I have, I have three boys, my, my middle one, Lincoln. This story's about him. He started school, and uh, he started at, you know, uh, the early learning center. And at the school, there's, there's different kids of different, different races, different colors. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a Spanish population in Phoenixville, and so from time to time, kids will be, be in school, and sometimes they have an aid because they're teaching them first generation how to speak English, and so I think that's r- really, really cool, and so sometimes you just begin to make assumptions about each, each other that are super innocent. It, it, he, he was five, five, six years old, and so uh, he, he's around that. We go to the park one day, middle of town, and uh, I'm trying to teach my kids, and I'm still trying to teach them. You can make a friend anywhere. Anybody else? Like, you, you don't have to know them to talk to them and have, and have a good time with them. So we're at the park one day, and there's kids playing, and I'm having this conversation. Go make friends. Leave me alone. Let me look at Facebook, right? And so, <laughs> and so I'm like, go play. And, but really, I want him to go make a friend. And there was this little boy playing on the, on the playground, little Spanish boy. And uh, he's playing, same age as Lincoln, I'm, you know, I'm assuming by, by making an assumption. And so... Uh, but I also, uh, I'm overhearing him talking to his parents. He's Spanish, but he speaks English, right? And so he, he, I, I already know that, but Lincoln doesn't know that. I'm like, hey, Lincoln, I'm like, that boy looks like he's the same age as you. Go over there and make a friend. And he looks at me dumbfoundedly. Like I'm asking him to do something that is so ridiculous. And I say, go talk to him. And in an innocent voice, a five, five, six-year-old little boy, he had a really high-pitched voice when he was that age. And so he said, I can't. He speaks Spanish. And I said, no, he speaks English, but he was making an assumption based on his skin color that he wouldn't understand him because he speaks Spanish. And it was a cute story, but the truth is we all do that. Not just of each other. I want to talk about today specifically the assumptions you make about yourself. The, the assumptions that you make about, about yourself. The cage of assumptions. I want to bring something up on the screen and I want you to find yourself in these statements. You ready? Some, some statements. Here's some assumptive statements that we make. Anybody in this room in Montgomery will ever say stuff like this about yourself? I can't do at it, whatever it is. I can't do public speaking. I, I can't do this teaching. I can't do this job. I, I can't do this. It's, it, I can't do it. Anybody ever say that to yourself? I can't do that. How, how about I am too blank? I, I don't want to assume things about you. But I think there's probably somebody in this place that says, I'm too old. I'm too old. Holy Spirit's been doing something in me, but I'm too old. 
I, I talked to somebody this, this, in, during this ser- sermon series where they, 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 the Holy Spirit's been talking to me about this, doing this, and, and, and they, they said something that I say oftentimes uh, when, I, when God's asked me to do something, I'm too broke. <laughs> Anybody else? I can't do that. I, we can't build that as a church. We can't give that away. I'm too broke. I'm too lost. I'm too lonely. I'm, um, I'm too this. I don't have the, what, what, what is it? I don't have the education to do that. Anybody ever said that? I don't have the family to do that thing God, that God wants me. I don't have the right family. I don't have that. Or it's not in my, I took a test of my strengths, and it didn't come up in my strength that I could do that. And so I don't know what the Holy Spirit wants me to do, but obviously he didn't take that test, right? Like, I can't do that. It's not in my, anybody ever make these statements about, about your life? The statements of assumptions. Here's the question. Where does that come from? You weren't born with that. You didn't look at yourself in the mirror one day and say, from birth, I couldn't do that. It's not in this. It's, it's not in my genetic makeup. I, I, don't, I don't think like that. Where do assumptions come from in your life? Uh, you know, when you have kids and they're young, they don't make a lot of assumptions about life. Did you know that? Children do not know what cannot be done. They're not born like that. Even, even young, younger kids, like even my kids now, they don't, they don't have a lot of assumptions, right? Like one, one of them wants to, play, wants to play in this soccer league in the, in, in the summer. Now, this is extra soccer league for school. He's been teetering back and forth. Do I play? Don't I play? Do I play? Don't I play? Do I play? Email's been coming. Okay, if you're going to pay, if you're going to play, you got to pay at this time. Do I play? Don't I play? Do I play? Yesterday's the last day that you could possibly sign up and pay. And so he waits and he, hey, I think I want to play. When, when, is, when, is, when is the money due? It's 13 minutes from now. He doesn't, he doesn't assume there's no money in the bank. What does he assume? You got this. Let me go out to my money tree and rip it off and just, right? Because I was planning that today, right? Like you could tell me, kids don't make assumptions. In the book he says this, he says, uh, he says adults, by the time we get to the adult age, we don't ask a lot of probing questions. We ask an average of six probing questions a day. You know how many questions, probing questions, kids, children ask a day? 125 every day. You know that. That's why Jesus said, I love this, and I started thinking about it, but that's why in Matthew 16, he says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because God's going to ask you to do things, and your assumptions, your, your, your things you think about, your things you've taken in your life, they're going to get in the way. So what does he say? If you want to follow me, you got to be like a kid. you got to stop making assumptions about what I can and cannot do in your life. Where do assumptions come from? Let me tell you where they come from. They come from other people. They come from other people. In fact, I started thinking about this when it came to assumptions. Uh, assumptions are taking someone else's prediction... And living in your life as if that's nonfiction. Now, it took me a long time to figure out the difference between fiction and nonfiction. <laughs> to me, fiction should be true, and nonfiction should be false because it's nonfiction, but that's not the case. <laughs> Taking somebody else's thought about your life and living as if it's true. And what happens? What happens with assumptions? They become lids in your life. Lids. I'm not going to get in here and bend down and put a lid over top of it. That's exactly what happens. They become lids. We're going to get an acronym. The lies people speak over you. 
the insecurities you develop, the, the eye and lids, the, 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 the D, the doubts you begin to live, the, the lid on top of your life. Other people's predictions, you taking and living in your life as if it's nonfiction. And so I just want to remind you, experts are wrong all the time. Are, are you tracking with me? Six or seven and a half point underdog at, at the Boston. Some of you are not going to win. The ex experts are wrong all the time. Experts historically have been wrong all the time. Like I started going through history. You know, there was this guy named Samuel Pepys. We don't, I never heard of him before. But he lived around the time Shakespeare wrote the Romeo and Juliet. And his prediction for Romeo and Juliet was this place garbage. Now, I, don't, I never heard of Pepe before. But could you imagine if Shakespeare would have said, well, Pepe said, I'm garbage. We would have never had Romeo and Juliet and had to read it in school. Maybe Pepe should have won that argument. <laughs> right? When the Wright brothers were inventing the airplane, a guy named Simon Newcomb said, nobody is ever going to want to get in a piece of equipment that flies in the air. One of my favorite things, 1899, the guy who was in charge of inventions and giving out uh, the, 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 the stamp of approval, 1899, here's what he said. I, don't, I forget his name, but he said, everything that can be invented has been invented. Bro, they didn't even have toilets that flush in 1899. <laughs> my toilet talks to me now, right? How you doing, Steve? You're doing great. <laughs> right? It doesn't, but that would be awesome, right? Right? There's always wrong predictions. Warner Brothers, the guy, the guy who invented Warner Brothers, the film thing, in 1927, when they began to have films where actors began to talk, he said, nobody is ever going to want to listen to an action film or film that has talking actors in it. Nobody is ever going to do that. Frank Sinatra in 1957, he said, rock and roll is phony. It won't ever last. Right? Uh, my favorite, Bill Gates in 1891. Bill Gates has all his money. In, uh, not 1891, 1981, sorry. <laughs> 1981. He said $640,000 should be enough for any man. He sneezes $640,000 right now. <laughs> Experts are always wrong. So I just want to remind you of that in your life. Some of you, you, you've taken somebody's predictions about your life and you live. So, so what is it? I want, I want, stop, what, stop listening to me. And what is the thing in your life right now that is caging your life in based on an assumption which has actually been a prediction that somebody else made about your life? And I want to drop you into a story of a woman named Esther. And I want to remind you of something that is incredible that I've been reminded of my entire life. And here's what it is. God specializes, you're going to see this in this story, in using unlikely people like yourself and myself to accomplish unthinkable, extraordinary outcomes. He's not worried about other people's assumptions of your life. I'll give you a little background story of Esther. And so Esther, a few weeks ago I talked about Nehemiah. And the story of Esther is the setup. She's alive, most people think at the same time as Nehemiah or pretty close. And her story is the setup to Nehemiah coming to the king and going back and rebuilding the walls that we talked about a few weeks ago. And uh, her story is really cool. And I love it for Mother's Day. Uh, because it's, it's a phenomenal, like if, if, if Disney wrote a movie, it would, this, 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 this would be it. Like every Disney movie that you ever watched, 
it's the story of Esther. They actually stole it, right? And so let's just be honest. And it is just a phenomenal story. So let me just give you a little background. So you remember Nehemiah was a part of the, 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 the exiled people. So what happened is, is when his people, his ancestors, Nehemiah's, Esther's, when they got exiled, the Babylonian emperor, the king, his name was Nebuchadnezzar, took all these people against their will, burned down their cities, killed people, took the brightest, the smartest, the best looking, indoctrinated them into their culture, and made them follow Babylonian rituals, Babylonian religion. And so what happens is, is uh, he eventually loses his mind. You can read about it in scripture. One of the, one of the oddest things he did is one time he made a statue that was super tall, right? It was all gold, and he said, hey, when you hear the music all over the kingdom, when you hear the music, bow down to this statue, and if you don't, you're going to get thrown into this furnace. That's where we get the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, we're not bowing. He throws them in. They don't burn up. They come out. They don't even smell like smoke. Nebuchadnezzar ends up losing his mind, as the story goes, and eventually he loses his power because everything rises and falls on leadership. A new kingdom comes into power. Uh, the empire of Persia, the Persian empire. And uh, their king's name was Xerxes. Xerxes, you've probably heard of him before. He's in the Bible. And so Xerxes. Xerxes is a phenomenal leader, but he's super immature, super immature. So we pick up the story of Xerxes in Esther chapter 1, and here's what's happening, playing out. He's in control, and uh, he's having a party that lasts for 180 days. This is a party, right? Like he's, he's partying. And uh, he has this queen named Vashti. Vashti, and so she just sounds like she has attitude problems, right? Vashti, and so he asked Vashti to come to his, his throne where he's having a party and dance for his friends. You, you know, get the queen. Tell her to come dance for me and my friends. They've been drinking for 180 days, doing drugs, partying. Tell her to come in and dance, and Vashti is before her time, right? Because most women, they just did at that time whatever, especially the king said to do. And Vashti, because she's Vashti, she said, oh no, I'm not, right? <laughs> you think I'm coming in and I'm dancing, right? You can just see her. You think I'm dancing for you, you and your friends that you've been drinking for 180 days? I'm Vashti, right? <laughs> you ever been told no by somebody and you don't know what to do? You have teenagers who are like, no. You're like, what? I said to do it. Well, no. You're like, it's like a, a, a mule you can't move, right? Remember when they were little kids, you just moved them, right? She said, no, I'm not going to do it. He don't know what to do. He's the king of Persia. He never gets told no. Vashti told me no. What am I going to do? So here's what he gets his boys together. And he was like, yo, what should we do with Vashti? Because he's scared of her, right? She said, no, what should we do with Vashti? And they're like, well, here's the problem. If we don't do something about her, every other noble's wife is going to hear about her and start standing their ground. We can't have that. <laughs> so funny, it's in the Bible, right? Right? And so he goes and gets Vashti, and he scolds her, right? He stands behind his nobles. They said, we, and they excommunicate her. They get rid of her. He has no queen. So they come up with this plan. It's a really cool plan. They say, uh, we're going to find a new queen. We're basically going to have a uh, beauty pageant. We're going to go find the, uh, the most beautiful, this is how the Bible describes them, virgins in all of the kingdom of Persia. And we're going to bring them in, and we're going to have this beauty pageant. And you can pick your new queen from this beauty pageant. It's here where we meet this woman named Esther. Here's what the Bible says in the book of Esther Chapter 2. Now in the citadel of Susa, a Jew 
of the tribe of Benjamin, named Mordecai, son of Jer, the son of Shemuel, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Among those taken captive with Jerichoam, king of Judah, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. Now, I probably lost you with all those names you don't care about. Here's what it's saying. In the Persian kingdom at this time is a man named Mordecai. They tell you where he's from. None of us care. Mordecai. Mordecai has a niece named Hadassah, but we're going to find out that her other name, her Persian name, is actually Esther. I like that better because it's easier to say. Esther. Esther, in verse number 7, it says, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai taken her as his own daughter when her mother and father died. So this is all very important information about her. She doesn't have a family. She doesn't have nothing. The Bible says, when the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with his beauty treatments and special food. He assigned her to seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Now, I want you just to, sometimes you read something and it's just so fast. How awesome is this? If you're a girl, you've gone from having nothing, you're just a nobody, and now you're living in the king's palace, and for some reason, the guy who's in charge of you, the king's servant that's in charge of getting you ready to meet the king, you found favor with, and he's given you seven of your own servants. You were nothing, and now you have seven servants who are meeting your every need. Man, they're, they're doing pedicures, manicures, highlights, lowlights. She got a personal trainer. She got a personal chef. She don't even turn her own TV without somebody coming and doing it for her. She, 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 has, she has shopping trips. She has a chauffeur. She has everything. This is every female's fantasy come true. So I'm like, it's not. It is. Stop it. <laughs> it's my fantasy, and I'm a man, right? <laughs> Picking me up, taking me places. I got the best food. I'm having the best experience. I'm sending postcards home from exotic places in the world. This is amazing. This is Bachelor's. Every episode of Bachelor for the last 25 years you've wasted your time on. You know what I'm talking about? These are destination dates. This is everything. Her life is amazing. The Bible goes on to tell us, as you keep reading, I don't have time, in verse number 12, that before a young woman would go in to see, see the king. So what they would do is one at a time. It wasn't like a real beauty pageant where they would go up there and they would come out and be like, I'm Costa Rica and, and I'm in the USA. And, I, and it wasn't like that, right? Like they, they, one at a time, they would, go, they would go to the king, be by themselves in his quarters. The Bible doesn't tell us what was going on, but it implies it, right? They were having fantasy sweet dates with the king. They would leave after the night was over, and uh, they would never know if they would see him again. More than likely, they wouldn't, because only one of them was going to be queen. They would go and get themselves prepared, best clothes, best, best fragrance, best meal maybe. They would pick a meal for him, go in, try to impress the king. This is my one shot to be the queen. Then they would leave, and if they were lucky, he would call them back and make them, make them queen. The Bible says when the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted 
the daughter of his uncle, Abigail, to, the, to go to the king. She asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. She was, she was low maintenance. That'll preach right there. She was a low maintenance, opportune person for the queen. She wasn't like everybody else. She was, she was different. The Bible says, and Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, the month of Tabath, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than any other woman. What was it? Was it her beauty? What was it? Was it her demeanor? Was it her kindness? Was it her compassion? Was it her character that had been developed through not having parents? What, what was it? What was different about Esther? The Bible says she won his approval and favor more than any other virgin. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. You can see this. The, the confetti's coming. The guy comes out, right? Emilio Estevez comes out with his little microphone, and he's doing his thing. And, 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 and he, she's here. And the king gave a great banquet. He called it Esther's banquet. Esther's banquet for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the province. And distributed gifts with royal liberality. I, I just was thinking to myself, as this happened, it's hard for us to even picture what was happening. But we often think that surroundings and situations are indicator of future success, right? Surroundings, that's what you want to do with your kids. I got to keep my kids in the right what? Situation. Because situation and surroundings are indicators of future success. And sometimes that's the case. But with God, oftentimes, our surroundings and our situations are not bigger than his power. And I started thinking about struggles that she would have had, assumptions she would have made. I just want to give you three that she would have said, uh, these are things I assume about myself that would keep me from this opportunity. First, first one is this. The first assumption, maybe you could agree, you could, you could relate to this, is she wasn't from the right place. There was, there was millions of people in the Persian kingdom. I'm going to tell you the estimate in, in a few points. Millions of people. She was not from Persia. She was from Jerusalem. She, she was exiled. She, she didn't have the, the right upbringing. She didn't have the right pedigree in her life. She was not from the right place. In fact, I started studying who she was. She would have been probably ridiculously embarrassed of her life. I don't want to tell people that I'm Jewish. I don't want to tell people how I got here. I, I, I don't want to. You ever been there? Meet people. Well, I, 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 I was born in a family where my dad was gone and my mom, she, she had me, but they weren't really planned for me. It's almost embarrassing for them. I, I don't want to talk about my family upbringing because it wasn't like everybody else's. They didn't have a gender reveal party for me. And, 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 and it was unwanted. I, I, was, I was left on a doorstep somewhere. Somebody, nobody celebrated my arrival. Nobody gave me a five-year-old birthday party party. I'm not from the, the right place. Like, I didn't have that in my life. Like, there's assumptions we be, begin to make. You look at other people. Could you imagine as she's there in, in, in the palace and she sees all the other women walking around and they, they learn how to walk. Like, I'm, I'm going to stop this right now. So when I walk like models and they put the books on their head and nothing falls off and they drink their tea, right? And, and, and they have the right family. Their families are showing up. They got the posters. They're cheering every time her name comes on the screen. And there's Esther. Esther, she don't have none of that. She don't have fan, fanfare. She don't have a heavy following on social media. 
She's not an influencer. She's a Jewish woman. She, she's ex, exile. She, she's not even supposed to be here. She's not from the right place. I started thinking about that because that's the story of Jesus too. Did you know that? Like Jesus, if, if we're not careful, we see Jesus we're like, oh yeah, his life was perfect, right? And he did live a perfect life, but he did not have a perfect situation. He didn't have a perfect family. In, in, in fact, where he was from was considered a place that wasn't good. We know this from scripture. If you go into the Bible, into a story in John chapter 1, the Bible says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said, hey, follow me. He's calling his disciples. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth. You ever say something that they, you wish they would not have heard? Nathaniel, his future disciple, here's what he says before he meets Jesus. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? About Jesus. Some of you, nothing good comes from the town I was born. I went to this crappy school district. Nobody, nobody's successful from this school district. Nobody makes something out of them. No, nobody, nobody ever leaves this town. Nobody, nobody, when they go, to, they go to that college, they don't thrive at that college. That's just a community college. I just went there because nobody else would accept me. I, nobody thrives there. Pe people don't do that. I'm not from the right, I'm not from the, the right place. And here, here's the problem. Oftentimes, we think we need to be in the right place so that God can find us. But here's what I know. I know that sometimes that God will make us into the right people. And when we're the right people, he'll get us to the right place by opening the right doors. You don't have to be in the right place all the time. You just got to be the right person. I'll show you this in Esther's life. Everywhere she went, people, people they liked her. Why? I, I, would, I would argue her upbringing, how she was born, what she dealt with, what, what, what she carried around, what, what, she, what she saw in her life, made her look and act and treat people differently. Made her likable. You ever meet somebody, they've had it all, you're like, I can't stand them. And then you meet somebody else, and they, they've had the world thrown against them. And you're like, oh, you're, you're so nice. Why are you so nice? And why are you so kind? And why do you see things like that? And why? Are, why? And they'll say, it's because of where I was from. And I'm just telling you, sometimes, and I'll say all the time, God is more worried about turning you into the right person. And if you're the right person, he'll get you to the right place, and he'll open up the right door. So my question is, who are you becoming right now? I remember when I was at Bible college, some of you, this is, you won't understand this, but I went to Texas. And Texas and the Bible college, it was what they called the Bible Belt. Anybody ever been down, down there? I call it the armpit of America, but they call it the Bible Belt, right? And so Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Kansas. Louisiana, right? I, I lumped it all in this time for you. All, all in. Th those, those people are different down there, right? They, everybody goes to church. So I went to this Bible college. Everybody knew each other. They're all related, right? Except for me. They would ask me where I was from. I would say Pennsylvania. And they would say, why do you talk out of your nose? I said, I don't know. I didn't know. I talked out of my nose. I didn't even know my nose was big until I got there. And I got this assumption about myself. Thank you. And so, and, and so I went to this Bible college. And I remember we went, we went, I went all through the years. I had no connections there. I knew nobody. Started getting to the point where you would have to go find a job. And uh, I remember, I was like, I got to find a job. And all my friends started having all these connections. Their mom's mom knew this person's dad. This was their cousin. You know, this person over here, they're going here. They got this internship. And I had nothing. 
And I remember I didn't know what to do. And sometimes when you don't know what to do, what do you do? You just get paralyzed by fear. And I remember the voice of the Spirit of God. I remember it. It it wasn't audible, but it was in my spirit. And And the voice of God said, listen, you need to do something. You need to go find a church to be a part of because you're going to graduate in a year. And when you graduate in this next year and you've never been faithfully a part of a church and you ask me to give you a job in a church, I'm going to reply, you're an idiot. That's what, that's what he said to me. That's exactly how he said it. I don't, he, that's how he talks to me. Some of you, that, that offends you. He, me and the Holy Spirit like that. And so, so I heard him. And I was like, I got to get a job. So I went to this little bulletin board, right? Because I said it was 2002. I got a little bulletin board. I took a thing off the bulletin board. I called this little church in Siegelville, Texas. This little, past, this little church, uh, this, this pastor, his name was Pastor Rogers, this probably 75-year-old pastor that had been there for years. And uh, the, job, the job description said, uh, help at our Christian school. And so I was like, I, I called him up. I said, hey, can I, can I interview for this job? I drove 45 minutes away from, from, from my, my, my school in a Volkswagen Jetta that had no air conditioning in it. And I could not afford to, to pay it. And I remember I sat in traffic every day trying to get to Siegelville, Texas for this job, right? And so without, without, without air. And so I went there and I interviewed. And I said, what's the job for it? I, he said, the job is to be the janitor for the Christian school. I heard the Holy Spirit say, that's, 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 this is yours. I said, well, this, this is my job? I went to school for four years at Bible college. Don't you got a preaching gig for me somewhere? He said, that's your job. And so I said, I'll take it. How much is the pay? He said, it'll be $150 a week. I said, how many days? He said, Monday through Friday. I said, how many hours? He said, however long it takes you. I said, what are the other perks? He was like, you can drink out of the water fountain as much as you want, right? No perks. Oh, by the way, you got to come to church here on Sunday morning, and you got to be involved in Sunday school. I said, do I get paid for that? He said, no, that's called being a Christian. And so I started doing this job, cleaning this school. As I was cleaning the school, I watched the sports teams do their thing, getting coached. And I was you know, cleaning the toilets, come out, and just thought, why can't I do that? And then eventually, as I was cleaning, the basketball coach quit. And he was like, hey, do you want to coach our basketball team? I was like, sure. What's the pay? Still $150. I'll take it. And, so, and, then, it was like, and then, then it was springtime, and it was like, hey, they had, a, they had a flag football team. It's in Texas. Everybody plays football. And they didn't have a coach. You want to coach that team? Yeah. Do you know about football? I played Madden. And so go long, right? <laughs> And so I coached the football team, and then, then it was Sunday school. Hey, the Sunday school teacher quit. You, 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 you want to do this? And I took over to Sunday school teaching. And then, and then it was, hey, you can start sitting on the stage with us and you learn how to be a pastor. And so I was up on the stage, and, and get, then I started preaching. And they let me preach. I was 21 years old. I started preaching. And all, all these things started happening in my life. As I'm going towards graduating from Bible college, having no idea what I'm going to do, supposed to get married, making $150 a week, that's not going to support a wife. And it was about a month before I graduated. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was going to keep working at Siegelville until God said not to. A pastor on a Friday night out of the blue that I've never met before from Edmond, Oklahoma, called me up and said, hey, I'm looking for a children's pastor. Now, I was going to school to be a youth pastor. I didn't even know if I liked kids. <laughs> but I heard the Holy Spirit say, that's you. I said, I'll, I'll come interview for it. I drove up with my, with my, with my wife, or going to be my wife, interviewed, offered me the job the next day, went from making $150 a week to $30,000. I was rich. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, God, how'd you do that? How did you open up that door? Become the right person. I'm not, I'm not from the right place. All my friends were looking for jobs. They all connections. I don't know what I'm going to do. I didn't look for a job. The job found me because I didn't make the assumption about my life. I'm not from the right place. Let me give you another one. Another one that's important. Uh, people say, often say that I think she would have said. She'll say, I don't have the right family. I think it's important to note she was, a, she, was a, she was an orphan. 
I think it's important to note that uh, we know Mordecai raised her, but we don't know that Mordecai had a wife. We don't know what happened. Quite possibly, Mordecai's wife could have been killed as well. And so Esther, quite possibly, was raised in a home where she never had the influence of a woman in her life before. She didn't know what it looked like to be married faithfully. She doesn't know what it looks like maybe to be a mom. She didn't have a mom. So if I may take some liberty with Scripture, don't you think this is ridiculous for God to even be putting her in this position in the first place? You want her to be queen, potentially uh, wife, uh, potentially mother, potentially grandmother, potentially an example to the rest of the kingdom of what it looks like to be a a queen and a wife and and a mom. You want her who's never had that experience and never seen that in her life to do that? This is ridiculous of the Holy Spirit. There is much better candidates for him to find than Esther. Don't we do this about our life? I'm not from the right family. I I don't have the right upbringing. I wasn't taught the right way. I've heard people say this. I can't be a godly parent because I never had one. You ever say that? I I can't be a great husband and wife because I've never seen one. I can't be faithful because I've never been around somebody who's faithful. Everybody I've ever known has been a cheater. I can't be forgiving because my family's all Italians, we don't forgive anybody. I can't be patient because I've always only ever been around people with a quick temper. Listen, your family does not determine God's future for your life. You don't know how crazy my family was. I don't, but I know how crazy Jesus' family was. If you ever want to be amazed at, at a part of the Bible that oftentimes gets overlooked, go through Matthew chapter 1 and read through the genealogy of Jesus. In Jesus' lineage, there's a prostitute. uh, There's two prostitutes, actually, in his lineage. There's people in his lineage that just honestly, if they were in my family, I wouldn't tell you they were in my family. It's like the Bible, the author is trying to tell us every type of person is welcome into the family of Jesus. I'm not sure who your family is, but I think another assumption would have been, I have the wrong, I have the wrong family. I'm not from the right place. I have the wrong family. And here, here's the last assumption that I think she would have made about her life. This one's important. Um, she was a nobody. She, she, was, a, she was a nobody. And here, here's why I want to say that. I feel, I feel, I felt it as I was preparing this message, specifically for, for a woman. And I, I, I want to say women, right? Because I don't want you to think I'm talking directly to you because I don't know if I am, right? And so, but I felt, I felt it. I don't know if it was Mother's Day or this story or whatever it was going to be, but specifically for, for a female in this room that you believe the lie, you're a nobody. You, you, and there's probably males too. Nobody. It, what would it matter if I, if I killed myself? I don't know if this is what you're thinking, but maybe you said this. What would it matter if I killed myself? Nobody would even care. Maybe you're a mom and you're like, nobody celebrates me at all. They don't care. I'm not important. Uh, maybe you're a te- teenage girl. And you so bad want somebody to see your potential. You, you so bad want somebody uh, to value you. That's why you so freely give yourself to anybody who will take you. And it really started with with. A wound from a parent. They were gone. 
And you said, nobody cares about you. Maybe you're in school and you're not as smart as other people. So you think and you think to yourself, man, I'm a nobody here. Like I'm not, I'm not ranked high in my class and I'm not, I'm not looked upon. Nobody ever is proud of me. Nobody ever sees anything that I do. I'm a nobody. Could be a guy here too. Nobody's paying attention to me. Grew up in a home, you just kind of went, and nobody ever, ever there to celebrate anything you did. And you've, you're just a nobody. And I, I, I think this assumption probably would have rung deepest in the heart of Esther. She's a nobody. I want to just paint the stats. I'm a math guy. And so, just to kind of you understand her life. So she, in the, in the pageant, in the, the competition, she would have been one of 400 women. One of 400. That's a lot of women. One of 400. Can you imagine how different she was than maybe most of the women there? Not, her, not just her nationality, uh, but her upbringing, her family, maybe her clothes, maybe, maybe her demeanor, uh, her experiences. Hey, where'd you go to school? I didn't. I'm in exile. What's your family life been like? They all died. You ever been embarrassed of your life? Like you want it to be more interesting than it actually is? You know what I'm talking about? Even for me, sometimes people are like, where'd you go to school? I'm like, Southwestern. They're like, oh yeah, Southwestern Assemblies of blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, not that one. This Assemblies of God, University, Waxahachie, Texas. What, what do you, what? You just count, you want your life to be more interesting than it is, right? But she's here, I just want to be interesting and it's just, there's just nothing. There's nothing that sets her apart except for pain. And what's more, more incredible is at that time, so I'm a, I like to sometimes look on Google and ask Google how many people live in America, right? So it's lots, right? At the Persian Empire at that time, there was 50 million people living there. The chances of Esther becoming queen, not only out of 400 other women, but out of 50 million people, is crazy. She was a nobody. And I, I want to I tell you something that maybe sounds like a poster or a coffee mug or cliche. But I just want, it's, it's so simple but so profound. I just want you to hear it. God don't make nobodies. He doesn't. He doesn't take a day off and like you slip through the cracks. Your mom and dad are in the backseat of a Chevy somewhere. What'd they do? And you shut up. And then other people, he's like molded and planted for. The Bible says this about every person in this room listening to my voice and in Montgomeryville. Before the foundations of the world, God was planted for your life. That his eyes have never left you. Ever. That he knows how many beats have been placed in your life from the moment that you were born. And every one of them has purpose. Every one. He knows the hairs, the Bible says, on your head. His thoughts for you outnumber the sand on the shore. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never turns his eyes. You are not a nobody. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't put people on this earth for nothing. And my favorite part of the story of Esther, I don't have time to keep going. wish I did. Is she, she wins. And then she's reminded by her uncle, Mordecai. You didn't win just for chance. You won, and you were put on this earth for such a time as this. 
It's one of the most beautiful lines in all of Scripture. You didn't just get there by accident. That God had his hands on you. That even when you lost your mom and your dad and you carried around that pain and, and that, that, that injury spiritually to your soul, man, it caused you to have something different about you. And that's actually what God used to get you in this position right now. Not a moment of your life, not a moment of pain, not a moment of agony, not, not, not a moment of sorrow was without purpose. You're not a nobody. And I think her right? There's something that happens in your life when you realize that. It fills you with joy. It gives you a reason to wake up in the morning. It gives you something to pursue. I want to pursue God's call on my life. I, I, I want to see him do everything in my life that he destined me to become. I want to, I want to experience everything that before the foundations of the world that he put into my story. And the same is true for you. What are your assumptions? Let me, let me just put this line, this, this slide up one more time. Where are you at? What if we, what if we I wish I would have been more creative. What if we would take out the, 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 the tea? And what if instead of I can't, what if we just put that famous Bible verse in there? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything that God has called me to. What if, uh, what if I am to whatever it is, too old, I'm too fat, I'm too ugly, I'm too, what if we just, what if we just took out two and we just put, I am a child of God, something like that, I don't, I, I'm not that creative, I can't go and you're going to have to do it yourself, right, <laughs> what are your assumptions, somebody else's prediction that you're living as truth in your life, and here's the problem with that, is a lie taken as truth affects you as true, am I right? So that's why the Bible says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to the truth of God in your life. You're not a nobody. Would you stand to your feet? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? Would you just fix your attention on God in this moment? Would you just tell him this simple prayer all over this house? Would you just say, hey, Jesus, I welcome you into this moment right now. Don't, don't check out. That's the worst thing you can do right now. This is the best time of service. This is the time when the Holy Spirit is turned up here. He's been speaking to you, and some of you feel like every word of this message has been for you. And I want you now, the Bible says that, that, that if you ask, that he'll, he'll say yes. If you, if you seek him, you'll find him. And sometimes some of you are missing a move of God in your life by one yes. So I just want you, wherever you're at right now, Holy Spirit, right now, you can have your way. You can speak to me. You, you can do what you need to do. It's all over this house, just, just for a moment. Just begin to say, would you do me a favor? And just, just, just settle for a second. Sometimes in this, this time, we get so busy. We're like Martha's, you know what I'm talking about? Everybody has to get to their serve position. They got to do their things. And we're going to be Mary right now. We're just going to sit at the feet of Jesus. There's nothing more important than his presence in your life. Holy Spirit, would you, would you move? And then some of you in this place, uh, you, you clearly, when I bring that slide up, you can clearly hear the statements you say to yourself. You can see the person who spoke spoken to you. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to begin to refuse 
lies in your life, deceit in your life. You're going to give forgiveness to those who have spoken to you like that. And you're going to step into the fullness of God's power and presence in your life. What's your assumption? Here's the one that I felt really strongly, uh, the, the assumption. Some of you assume, you're here right now, and you assume if there is a God, that he's done with you. That's the assumption you make. He's done with you. You've messed up too many times. You've been to church before. You've told him no. You've run. You, 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 you've, you've disobeyed. You've rebelled. You, you've caused chaos in your life. Some of you are honest enough to realize, man, I've messed up everything. And you assume that because of all of those decisions that God's done with you. And it's just not true. You put your hand on your chest, you feel your heart still beating. If that's still going, and it is, because you're alive right now, then God still has a good plan for your life. He still has purpose for you. He can redeem, He can restore, He can set free, He can heal. More can happen in one moment with Him than a thousand elsewhere. That's what Scripture says. Better to be one day in your course than a thousand elsewhere. So maybe you've been making that assumption. That assumption is actually your personal prediction of your life, and you've been living as if that's true. But that is not biblical. God's a God of grace. God's a God of redemption. God's a God that takes unlikely people and accomplishes unthinkable outcomes. God is not a God that is attached to your past, your family, your upbringing, your education, your talent. He can move in your life if you would just let him. So what do you do? Well, the Bible says you receive God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says Jesus came and died on a cross for your sins. He was placed in a tomb, and on the third day he rose in power. And when he did that, he did that for you and me. And now it's through him that anyone who calls out to Jesus shall be saved. What do you do? You confess with your mouth. You believe in your heart. You stop trying to live life on your own. You can't do it. You humble yourself before God, and the Bible says he'll lift you up. So maybe you've been making that assumption. God's done with me, but you heard my my voice. You believe my words. And now right now in this moment, You're ready to say yes to Jesus Christ. You're ready to ask him to be your Lord and your Savior. I assumed he was far, but right now I feel him. I know he's close. Today's my day. We're going to pray together as we close. If you're in this this middle service at 930 and you would say, Pastor Steve, both here in Montgomeryville, you would say, that's me. I don't know Jesus Christ, but I need to. I thought he was far from me, but I can feel him right now. I know he's closer than a brother right now. I can feel him. And today I need to stop running. I need to make him the Lord and Savior of my life. I want to follow him from this day forward. If that's you all over our houses, every head bowed, every eye closed, you would say, hey, that's me, Pastor. I don't know Jesus, but I need to. I'm tired of living with this cage of assumption. I'm tired of walking. I want to walk in life and life to the full. If that's you in this place, would you put simply with faith and with courage, just begin all over this house, just to raise your hands towards heaven and say, hey, Pastor Steve, I don't know Jesus Christ, but today I need to. I need to make him the Lord and the Savior of my life. If you're in Montgomeryville and you say, hey, Pastor, that's me. 
I don't know Jesus, but I need to. Uh, we're just going to give people one more, one more shot, one more chance, another second to respond. And then we're going to begin to pray all over this place. Would you just begin uh, to just pray? And uh, maybe, maybe you know the Lord and maybe you've experienced Him and maybe you're walking in freedom. But maybe as I preach today, something spoke to you and you know, hey man, that, that's me. So here's what I want you to say to the Spirit of God. I want you to say, Holy Spirit, you have control of my life. I believe in you more than I believe in whatever somebody has said to me. I'm no longer going to live my life uh, founded on other people's predictions of who I am, who I was going to become. But I'm going to live my life as a child of God. I know that you're more than a conqueror. I know I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I know, Jesus, if you're calling me to it, you're going to see me through it. Lord, that if, you, if you're asking me to accomplish something, God, you're going to bring me everything that I need to do what you're calling me to do. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for that. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it continues to shape us, to change us, to shift us, to bring life to us. Lord, as we leave this place, will we take a moment all over this room to be thankful for the moms and, the, and, and the, even, even the motherly figures that you've brought into our lives. Thank you for their wisdom. Thank you for your gu their guidance. Thank you for their prayer. Thank you for their sacrifice. Thank you for the things they do that nobody even will ever notice that they do. Would you just for one day right now, but even, even moving forward, would you just help them uh, to feel loved, appreciated, and celebrated? Would they feel that? Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. In your name that we pray, Jesus Christ, all over our house. Would you shout amen? Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.